Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my mom. I never listen. There were some back in the day that referred to her as A.B. Some call her Coach Bracey. Some call her Ashley Bracey. Some call her Coach Bracey from IUC. You can call her whatever you want. This woman can coach. And we're pleased to have her on Nothing But Net. So thank you so much for joining us, Coach A.B. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> I like calling you A.B. because I think that's easier to say, honestly. Uh, so uh, get, get us up to speed on your vision and where you are in the process. and. What's going on with your program? Yeah, so uh, my vision, and I, I took this job about 18, 20 months ago, was to uh, you know put UIC in a position to compete for a championship. It's never been done here on the women's side. We've never competed in an NCAA tournament. Um, I saw a ton of opportunity here. I look at it as like a gold mine. We're in a great recruiting recruiting uh, space, uh, and so you know we're we're plucking away every day. Had a had a good first year in terms of building from what I had taken over, and then this year we're looking to build on that. Right now we sit ten and seven in uh, overall and three and three in conference with a really tough start to conference in terms of our competition, and uh, we're building every day. I'm I'm putting a team together of seven returners and eight new kids, and so every day it's an opportunity to build chemistry and to continue to instill you know my system and uh, just keep growing as a team. So we're we're in a good shape and hoping to get better uh, from here. You're in a competitive league, and you knew that when you took the job. This was a very much coach's league where you got to be good at situations. Before we go there, I want to ask you about Chicago because it's a market that is full of great talent in the region around Chicago. It's hard to lock up a city because there's so many opportunities to play, not just in the city, but there's a lot of talent that maybe people don't know as much about, but you've been diving into the city for a long time through all your different jobs you've had before. What are you finding about Chicago that makes it worth your while to be in this job and, and what you see coming down the road? Yeah. Uh, number one would be, you know, youth basketball, high school basketball, um, and, and development in our youth. I think that's always a good place to start when you're looking at, you know, where to build a program. I learned that during my time in Indiana when I coached at Ball State. Indiana it has great youth basketball development, and if you look at at all the schools, mid-major to high-major, they're successful because of it, and they retain the kids in their state. Um, so that's number one. We have a, a great level of basketball, high school, and youth. Um, and then in addition to me, it's just about building a brand at UIC that people want to stay home for. Chicago is an up-and-coming city. There's tons of options, entertainment, there's access, there's for internationals, for people in other big cities. Um, so you have a big uh, recruiting pool to choose from. So it's about getting getting people excited to stay home and then hitting other big cities and giving people an opportunity to, to experience a new city and, and you know, one that is just growing by the day um, and people are excited to, to, to live in. So, you know, Chicago to me, like I said, I'm from here. Goldmine was great to was great to be able to come back and uh, we're loving every second of it. And, and we've had really good success with bringing kids back from BCS or Big East level mm -hmm. schools back to UIC that are originally from Chicago. So, you know, we found a little bit of a, a connection there. We're hoping to build on that. So I read this today and it's not 100% relevant, but the point is that Ohio State is up to somewhere between 10 to 13 million in their football um, collective. Wow. So that's a lot of money 
to recruit football players to Ohio State. That's yes. at a whole other level, right? Yes, it and is. We in women's basketball in certain places don't always have those kind of resources. Like, I don't know anybody's got 10 million that's putting it on their women's program. Yep. But there are other things that we have that we have to continue to sell. And I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the things that you're doing to neutralize the free agency aspect while still being able to ask, access the portal and find players that you think want to come and maybe have gone somewhere else, but you recruit them on the second, the second time around, you know, yeah. how much of that relationship building, how much does the financial part of it play in? How much does academics play in? Um, you know, all the things together, like what's your pitch to a parent that is sometimes leading with a financial question instead of the academic question? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, so I guess what, what we aim at this stage in, in, in our jobs here at UIC to compete with is other mid-majors. So, you know, we haven't gotten to the point where we're competing with NC State and, you know, Ohio State yet, but we are in a good position when it comes financial packages um, with other mid-majors. Uh, Michael Lippitz has done an incredible job finding the resources to provide Alston money to our young ladies. So that is something that, you know, if you if you were to look around at other mid-majors, a lot of them cannot afford to give that Alston money, which was approved by the NCAA. And so in addition to that, Chicago has a high cost of living. So because of that, we're able to give them more scholarship dollars um, and cost of living money to that, you know, for any kid, like when you're just looking at the dollars, like that's enticing, you know, you know, you're going to, you can go here and get this much and, you know, you can go to UIC and get, you know, double that, even though the cost of living is higher, it's still enticing um, that conversation. So that piece, I feel like mid-major competition, we are in great shape financially. Um, and then the next level of that and the biggest level, and, and, you know, you obviously know Robin Pinchin quite well, and that's, that's where I've learned pretty much everything that I know. Um, is relationship building. You know, when people go and they don't have the best experience at a higher level, they're holding on to just someone that will give them an opportunity to have a great experience. And so that's my biggest sell. That is why, and it's not a sell because it's it's what it is. Like I'm not in coaching to win basketball games. I like to win. It's fun to win, but I'm in coaching to impact young people and help them provide the experience that I got from Robin from playing for Robin um, at Illinois State, which was life-changing. And so, you know, that's that's my sell is you're going to come here and you're going to have so much more than basketball. You're going to have somebody that's a part of your life forever and somebody that pushes you in all areas and aspects of your life. Um, and I think when it comes to transfers, I think that is probably the number one thing they're interested in. So there's a lot of talk about amateurism and, you know, the model for college athletics, but at the heart of all of it, you are a teacher and always have been. I've heard your voice as an assistant. I've watched you as a head coach. I know how much you care about doing things the right way, technique, detail, situations, all of that. Do you think that the current landscape or have you experienced a change in the locker room because somebody's getting X versus Y and somebody else is getting this? And does it impact or affect what you're doing from a chemistry standpoint. I'm not specifically asking about your locker room. I'm just asking in general about the game because I don't I don't want to know what goes on in your locker room. I'm asking, you know, general. does the locker room is sanctity to me? It's sacred. It only what stays in the locker room, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Um, I'm just asking about the general landscape as a young coach who has seen it both sides of it, yep. you know, what you're anticipating. Yeah, it's 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 definitely changing. Our jobs are becoming more difficult to do it at the purest level of, of teaching and coaching um, because it's becoming more cutthroat. 
Um, and, you know, kids, it's like the most important thing that I can instill in my players is resiliency. It's the ability to, you know, take a situation you're unhappy with, work through that and find a way to change mm -hmm. the things that are in your, in your control. And the way the landscape is set up right now is making it very difficult to keep kids long enough to instill that quality. Um, you know, and they can just run in the portal as soon as they're unhappy or they can go somewhere to get, get paid more money. And that's across the board. At the mid-major level, it's probably at its lowest. At the high-major level, it's probably insane. And when I was at Missouri, I felt a lot, a, a lot of that a lot more. Um, but it is changing. And um, I guess my mindset is I refuse to allow it to change me. And, you know, we're going to, and it's, it's, it's tough. And I have my days where I'm very frustrated, but at the end of the day, when you know your why, you know why you coach, you got to cling tight to that. That's first things. And uh, you navigate, you know, how, how you need to. So. So when you finished your first year as a head coach and you look back at what you have and what you need or what you want to do in your second year, what are some of the things that you had hoped would happen between year one and year two that actually you're seeing happen underneath your leadership yeah two things one would be just the ability to become a respectable program to be able to recruit the kids that i knew would be able to help us um that happened right we went from two wins um before i took over to 19 right so we're in a space where it's like okay yeah i can see that you know this staff is going to be able to put us in good positions so that happened and, and then the second thing would be to build on our first year we finished 19 and 17 um we had zero depth we played with seven kids all year long we were offensively challenged. We really dug into the defensive end. I want to. I want to balance offense and and defense, honestly. And if you look at the statistics, if you look at us where we line up in conference, we're top four in scoring offense. Scott, top four in scoring defense. So we're in good shape. But there's a lot of chemistry to be built. You know, we played against Illinois State on um, Sunday, and they have three kids that have played together for like four years, right? And they have a ton of chemistry and experience down the stretch. Now we beat them. Um, it wasn't pretty, but we did. And and so it's gaining those experiences through the process of the journey. And uh, I think every coach's goal is to find a way to play in postseason. So hopefully we'll just continue to get better and uh, give ourselves a chance to do so. This is part of the reason why I love the Missouri Valley and have been in the Valley for so long. I mean, I've been in the Valley, I think, longer than you've been alive, honestly. Uh -huh. um, and I have been watching this league evolve over time. Um, so I want to shift gears away from the Valley because I'm, I'm constantly telling everyone how great the Valley is, the competition, the level, the resource, um, the coaching, all of it. Assuming that we can deliver this podcast in a timely manner, hint, hint to my producer, BMAC, um, I want to ask you about South Carolina LSU. It's the big game that's being played tonight. Everybody in women's basketball and really in basketball is talking about it because You've got the number one team with the best efficiencies on the offensive and defensive end. Okay. It's historically a great D against the Mardi Gras power of LSU. And, you know, we're not even going to talk about what Dawn and Kim are wearing. You know, I'm talking about what's going on on the court because I, I can't see you bedazzling too many things or showing up in a feather, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> uh, but I will say the monkey lookalike thing at LSU a few weeks ago was outstanding. Yes. Uh, it run a campaign. It was first class. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you're from a teaching standpoint, do you have your kids watch the game or are your kids interested in watching the game? Uh, is there any aspect of the game that you're going to ask them to watch or your guards watching pow pow and, yeah. you know, Michaela Williams or how, you know, how does this work? 
Yeah. You know what? That's a great question. And uh, you just gave me a great idea. I think we are going to watch it as a team. Uh, you know, I was <laughs> I was on uh, Instagram the other day and I was looking at tickets were upwards of like 3K. Um, so an incredibly anticipated game, obviously, with incredible basketball getting ready to be played. And, and I think, yes, I think I think we have worked so hard um, and, you know, people before us, people that, you know, you obviously were connected with to get women's basketball to the point that it is now that it would be a disservice to not ask your kids to be a part of that and watch that and understand that change. So absolutely. And then um, just, I mean, I've scouted against Don Staley and Kim Mulkey for, for Kim Mulkey. I guess she was at, ba um, at Baylor before, but I think three years while she was at LSU and mm -hmm. then um, Don Staley for six while I was at Mizzou, incredible coaches with an incredible ability to recruit. You're going to be watching, you know, 30, and I understand less are going to play, but 30 of the best college basketball players in the country in one space. Um, and it's going to be exciting. And it's something that uh, I think we all need to to make make sure we're a part of as women. Yeah, I'm, I would love to be sitting uh, tonight with a group of 15 young women watching the game uh, together and yeah. listening to what they say and what they think. You know, um, I just had this just in this week, you yeah. know, I had the um Oregon at Utah men okay Utah men up three six seconds choose to foul almost backfires on them right then I was at the Citadel last night and Ed Conroy is a great friend of mine they're up one with six seconds with two fouls to give and they elect to give both fouls the other team does get a shot up but they don't score they win the game and then uh, my son played in the game where they elected not to foul and the team hit a three and they go into overtime and lose. So there's three different scenarios around the end of the game where it requires some analytics, some feel. Most importantly, you have to practice missing free throws. You have to practice, um, you know, how to foul. Those things are all like at this point in the season, like that's a game like tonight. It's going to come down to some piece of strategy like that. Right. Um, I'd, I'd really love to know after the game what your kids think about how the game ends. Yeah. You know, what happens, not knowing what's going to happen, what they're thinking. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, to know where the game is going. Because, like, you're a great teacher, and I know your kids are are tuned into what you're saying. And obviously, you've done a good job because of the the, the quick ascent. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in, like, players' IQ. Like, what are they thinking? You know? Yeah. How does I'm, it work? I'm excited to uh, watch with them, and I I would love to report back to you on that. I Please send that. us a picture if you are watching with your team, so and we no, can we'll post do. it on. We'll do. And I love Debbie how you just continue to just push the the women's game in, in general. I mean, I think it's awesome. You're putting nuggets in my mind that's helping me with my team. So I <laughs> we we got to keep thinking. Right, got to help each other. I'm a big rising tides person. You know, I, I really believe that. The more you work and the harder you work and listen to Tara, she's won 12,000 or 1,203 games. And she's talking about outworking her players, which she does watch more film than anybody I know. So it's just interesting when you hear different perspectives, it's kind of inspiring, right? The more she shares, the more I get excited, the more you share, the more I think about, man, I'd love to be around a bunch of young women tonight watching a game. How can I get that done between now and eight o'clock tonight? You know, I it's fun. It. it is fun. It is fun. Hey, that's that's interesting what you said about Tara. And like when you can get to the point where you are worried about outworking your players, man, you're in good shape. 
<laughs> exactly, because you know you're going to do it, right? Yeah, you know you're going to do it, and you know your players are right behind you, pushing you forward, and that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. Well, for the good of the cause, with everything that you've done and experienced, all the places that you've been, you're important to the game because we need our young coaches to keep working and to stick with it and help us solve some of the issues that we have in the game um, so that we can continue to keep that rising tide going. Because we're, I mean, the game's always been great, but the popularity of the game is at an all-time high and we need to keep doing our jobs, right? Everybody doing their job, doing a little bit more, a little bit better. Absolutely, Debbie. And I promise you, I will do that because I'm so appreciative to the people before me that have. And I know you will, and, and we're grateful for your time. So thanks for joining us, and, and uh, we wish you good luck moving forward. Thank you, Debbie.